When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast, and now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every single week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, obviously, it is Tuesday this week, and we're recording because uh, Monday was the Memorial Day holiday here in the United States of America. We went ahead and gave the MMA news cycle an extra day, just in case... Some shit needed to pop off just in case anything at all was going to happen. But we sit here on Tuesday recording the proper and it is the slow times, my guy. I mean, it's crazy, right? How sometimes we'll be sitting here like, damn, when they do it every weekend, you never have a chance to take a breath and think about what's coming next, what we just saw. And then the UFC does go and take a weekend off and we're just like, we're lost. We're like a bunch of lost children wandering in the wilderness. Well, and not only that, but it's also this the stuff that's coming up is a little bit low profile, right? Like this weekend, obviously, you've got Alexander Volkov and Jarzino Rosenstrike, which we will talk about. And that leads into UFC 275, which is as the UFC likes to do now with its pay-per-views. you got this twin championship billing. And I think Glover Tashira against Yuri Prochaska is, is interesting. Like, yeah. I'm kind of excited to see that fight. Uh Valentina Shevchenko against uh, Talia Santos. I don't know, man. Whatever. That's fine. Then you got uh, this fight night event headlined by Calvin Cater and Josh Emmett, which is going to be a banger. Uh, And it also has now Donald Cerrone and Joe uh, Lausen on it. Kevin Holland and and Tim Means are going to fight on that also. Then we get into UFC Fight Night 208, which doesn't even have a main event yet. Uh, there's There's a rumored... Bite bout lightweight fight between Armand Armand Suzuki and and, uh, Matuz Gamra from KSW UFC 276, which of course will be down in Vegas for for the co-main event podcast meetup Israel Adesanya and Jared Cannonier and Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway doing it again, 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 brother. But like some of this stuff, there's some peaks for sure. But some of this upcoming stuff just seems a little 
a little low profile to me. So like, not only do we have this weekend where at least the UFC wasn't in action, but now we sit here on Tuesday uh, looking for stuff to talk about. And it's just like, I don't know how much time we can spend talking about this, this fight card of, of Alexander Volkov and the biggie boy. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll devote a little bit of time to it, we but will. also, I we mean, will talk these, about these are, I would say, Good weekends to get a little farther afield into the MMA news cycle. See what else is going on out there. Do, do some is, reflecting. A little bit of looking this, in the mirror, maybe. You know, this one is for the hardcores. Yeah. Uh, you know how you can tell it's a slow week in MMA. Number one, everybody gonna roll their features out. Everybody's got their features locked, loaded, ready to go. Slow news week. Boom. You start seeing them. Also, I feel like you can just go to the big MMA niche news sites and count the number of headlines about. Dominic Cruz and Jorge Masvidal and just kind of be like, okay, slow news week here. We were, everybody's running three different stories about who's calling out Dominic Cruz this week. You know, how I can tell that it's a slow news week is how many different things I see from ESPN. One of the ESPN shows properties are just writing on the website, uh, ranking weight classes. Mm, yeah. When that starts happening, when it's like, okay, Daniel Cormier tells you his top weight classes. You're like, okay, so we're we're filling some gaps, is what you're telling me. Okay. Here's a video of Habib Nurmagomedov and Luke Rockhold horsing around. Which, I mean, hey, I'm going to click that video. Yeah. No, we all like, are. I'm, but also, eh, might be a slow news week, if that's what you're watching. <laughs> if that's the, the best thing that catches your eye. Remember, you're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast proper. Don't forget to go out and follow us on Instagram, at CME if you nasty. How are we doing on followers over there, by the way? You know, uh, it depends what your metric for success is, I guess. My you, metric for success is more than last time. Oh, yeah. I don't remember what the number was last time, but uh, yeah. Every time I look, we, we've gained some new followers. Let's see. Right now, right now, the CME Instagram, at, that is uh, at CME if you nasty. We got uh, almost 1,300 followers. Oh, wow. That's way more than last time. So there you go. We're crushing it. We're absolutely mm-hmm. killing it on the grams. Yeah, sure. I, You know what? I, I just got a note here from our legal team. They say, yes, you you are allowed to say that, that we are absolutely mm-hmm. crushing it on the grams. Uh, I have questions about the tens of thousands of listeners that we have that don't follow us on the grams. Yeah, that does seem like, uh, I mean, you know, I don't want to point the finger. I don't want to be like, hey. Get all passive aggressive about it. I'm just gonna say, um, I guess you haven't gotten around to it yet, and that's fine. We just, you know, we're waiting on you over there. Follow us on Instagram at CME if you nasty. Nothing but fire emoji content over there at the Instagram. If you don't like that, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash co-main event this particular show drops every monday afternoon for free most weeks of course today is tuesday owing for the holiday uh but that's where you can find it in your timelines and podcast libraries and if you think we're having fun now check us out over on patreon hit up patreon.com slash co-main event ben folks and i are party rocking over there with three additional podcasts every single week that includes the wednesday live chat hashtag wild on wednesday where we spend a full hour answering questions from the beloved patrons of the co-main event we've also got the friday power hour podcast an additional hour of curated mma talk which features the dreaded but amazingly named co-main event podcast patreon power hour power rankings and of course thursday for the top tier patrons doing the damn thing when we break it down we chop it up on all of the non-mma related 
topics that we think might be of interest to the listening audience patreon.com slash co-made event check us out over there we got music this week from our guys foreign cash remember that's c-a-c-h-e an la-based production duo if you like what you hear from them you can check out more of their stuff over at foreigncash.bandcamp.com or at soundcloud.com slash foreign cash we are pleased to share their music with you this week three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast in round number one the UFC has finally confirmed some bouts for Saturday's fight night card. So at this point, we have every reason to believe that Alexander Volkov will actually take on the biggie boy at the apex. The question we still don't have a clear answer on is why. And in round number two, in a new interview with ESPN Desportes, Jorge Masvidal continues to maintain his innocence in the attack on Colby Covington at the Poppy Stake. Sorta, kind of, I mean, not really. He basically continues to keep confessing and then says, I'm innocent at the end, which is, I have to say, a groundbreaking legal strategy. And in round number three, Hicks and Gracie is doubling down on his claim of being 450-0 in combat sports. And yes, I'd love to hear from some more super tough MMA guys about how they hate pro wrestling because it's so fake and stuff. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. Uh, ben, we've got some breaking news here about our longtime sponsors, Fulton & Rourke, producers of the finest grooming products in the land. This week, Fulton & Rourke won yet another award, this time for their fragrance, and I love the name of this one, Devil's Garden. That won a Men's Health Grooming Award for being one of the best fragrances around, according to their team. I love this one. Ben, tell the kids at home about the Devil's Garden. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, as you know, Chad, Devil's Garden got its name from the amazing trail in Moab, Utah. The fragrance has notes of incense, smoke, and resin. It's meant to call to mind the, the mind-blowing desert landscape of the area. You can get the Devil's Garden scent in the solid fragrance, the deodorant, and the bar soap. All three are great by themselves, but if you combine all three... You know, you're going to smell great all day without the risk of being overwhelming. Tons of cool stuff happening over at Fulton and Rourke, our longtime sponsors, friends of the show, representatives of Fulton and Rourke are going to be down there at the Co-Main Event Podcast 10-year anniversary meetup, which yeah, I'm you, excited about. You'll be able to, to spot them by how great they smell. That's right. <laughs> Uh, CME listeners right now can save 15% on their first purchase with the coupon code IFUNASTY over there at FultonAndRourke.com. Again, FultonAndRourke.com. Sounds like you might want to check out The Devil's Garden. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Rob Walden, who writes, Most organized sports aren't showing signs of pandemic measures anymore and haven't for over a year. So why is the UFC still holding most events at the apex? To me, it gives events a small-time made-for-TV feel and serves as a reminder of a dark period. Not that everything is sunshine and rainbows now, but you get my point. I've got... To imagine, holding events in, re in real arenas is more profitable. Dana was desperate to push the boundaries of what was acceptable for the most part during the pandemic. But now, the UFC is by far the biggest sports league with the most visible reminder that the world is different than it was two years ago. Any theories? This is an interesting question. And yeah. it is uh, obviously true. The UFC, as far as I know, has, has uh, no real plans to stray 
from the apex for these fight night events uh, for the foreseeable future. Most of these things are still booked up down there in Las Vegas. And we know it's not because they're trying to be careful. We know right. that, right? They know it's it's not out of a uh, an abundance of concern for right. the ongoing pandemic. We can say that with full confidence. So what's the deal? Why is the UFC staying home in Vegas, booking these fights in front of the six guys sitting in armchairs at the apex when we could be out having fun at the mid-major arenas of the United States of America? What, what gives? Well, I mean, maybe some of it at least is uh, the difficulty of scheduling stuff when you have planned to be doing this for a while like you got to go out there and suddenly book a whole bunch of arenas at a time when and Dana White has mentioned this before in the past that all at once everybody's trying to get back out there and do their stuff and booking a whole bunch of arenas and so maybe that's part of it also maybe the UFC just got in the habit of doing this and found in one way or another that it didn't hate it as much as it thought and got really used to running the shows this way and, uh, I mean, maybe it just, it, I, I don't know if it's uh, a profitability issue or just a, an ease of some of this stuff to run some of these small shows where you realize we are churning out ESPN content and that's mainly what we're doing here. But maybe they just, after doing it for a while, took a step back and looked at it and said, you know what, this isn't so bad. Like, yeah, I mean, right here in our backyard, in our own arena, we're controlling an awful lot of stuff and you we're subject to a, a lot less of the just the vagaries of state athletic commissions and moving from different city to city. And, the, you know, how do you get people in and out and managing everybody at the host hotel and shit like that? Like you, you eliminate a lot of those stressors if you're just doing the same thing at the same place and it's your own backyard every single week. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be easier, right? It's and and you're not getting the live gate, but in some ways it's got to be more cost effective because just think about the logistics, man of moving the UFC show uh, from week to week. It's not just the fighters and Dana White that have to go to those things, right? The UFC has a whole team, probably multiple teams of people who are involved in, in the television production and moving the octagon from one place to another. And you got to get all those people uh, to the place where you're going to go. So in, in many ways, I'm sure just staying at the apex is easier but I also think deep down in, in my heart of hearts that Dana White wants to get back out on the road because we know that's kind of where he thrives. That's what that's his wheelhouse. And maybe the good news uh, for our guy, Rob, is that it seems like we are going to get back out on the road, at least for these some of these upcoming uh, fight night events. Uh, I mentioned earlier Calvin Cater versus Josh Emmett. That one is going to be at the Moody Center down in Austin, Texas. Then we return to the Apex uh, for our for our next event. But uh the UFC Fight Night 210, which doesn't have a main event that is official yet, although it's almost certainly going to be Brian Ortega versus Yair Rodriguez. That one's going to be at the UBS Arena in Elmont, New York. And then, of course, we're going to London for uh, Blades versus, versus Aspinall, which has you know a, a pretty good card to get over there and get back to London. So maybe we're starting to ease out of the apex times a little bit here, starting to get the UFC Roadshow uh, back at least into first gear. Yeah, it does seem like we're getting back out there, but I'm, I'm sure at, at least some of it was just that all if, if everybody is re trying to rebook their shit that got canceled or postponed or anything all at once, I'm sure that there are there. You look at the calendar at some point, you think maybe it would be better for us to instead of trying to rebook our stuff right away, start to try to rebook it starting this summer and in the meantime, stay home. Yeah. 
Uh, next question this week comes to us from our guy Brandon Boyd over on Patreon, not the lead singer of Incubus, as he has noted multiple times. He writes, you guys, I can't take it anymore. These damn Diaz brothers are driving me insane. One day, it's Nate saying everyone is ducking him. The next day, it's Nick proclaiming he can defeat Kamaru Usman. Rinse, repeat. But I think I've found a solution. They fight each other. Theoretically, how big of a spectacle would a Diaz versus Diaz fight end up being? Uh, Would it break the pay-per-view record? What do you think of this scenario? And is there any chance in hell that it happens? Uh, Let's I think they'll beat the- your ass for suggesting it. I was going to say, a good way to get slapped would be to say this to the Diaz brothers. I think they have in the past voiced a lot of annoyance at the idea of uh, fighting each other, which you can imagine is a thing that gets brought up to them a lot as a as a person, a human male who hosts a mixed martial arts podcast with another human male. I can tell you that people suggest that we fight each other all the time, despite the fact that we are not, in fact, in any way engaged in that line of work. So you can imagine two I'll brothers fight you for a beer and a slice of pizza who actually are professional fighters. They probably get asked this shit all the time. And I know that I have seen uh, Nick Diaz and Nate Diaz talk about how they don't like it and they, they want people to stop talking about it. So well, yeah, and one thing that you hear from those guys and have heard consistently from them over the years is that they do not see this shit as a game. They take this shit. Uh, I don't know if I want to say more seriously, but uh, more gravely, like yeah. they they do not see this at, as a sport the same way that many other people do. I remember having this exact conversation with Nate where he was talking about the perception of he and Nick that they are just always mean mugging, hardcore, uh, being dicks to everybody. And we were sitting drinking some goddamn smoothies, and he's like, "See, I'm a nice guy, aren't I? Like I'm nice." And I was like, "Yeah, no, you seem like a nice guy." He's like, "When when we're just doing nice guy stuff, I'm a nice guy." But this sport, this whole business, somebody going to go out there and try to break your arm on TV, try to knock you out in front of your friends, try to break your jaw in front of your mom and take money from you. That's not a thing that I play around with. I treat that really seriously. And he's talked about how he gets frustrated where he feels like the UFC wants to make it seem as though it's a sport. We're all at pro athletes and buddy buddy and how they'll put you in the same van riding to the airport with guys that you have fought or are likely going to fight and how mad they get about that because they just see it differently. They, they see this as a, a very dangerous business that you really got to be about that life for or otherwise bad stuff's going to happen to you. And it's not like losing a basketball game. You're going to go out there and you're going to get hurt. And any one of these nights could be one where you suffer an injury that alters your career and your life going forward. And so you have to treat it that way. And so they would not treat it as like, Hey, we're just going to go out here brother against brother to give you guys a show and fuck around. Like they're, they're not going to do that. You could see how from their perspective that, would not be a fun thing to even talk about. And also I remember doing that story on, uh, remember Phoenix Jones and he fought his brother, you know, they were uh, adopted brothers and uh, Carlos Fodor and Ben Fodor. And they fought in PFL. It might've been world series of fighting back then, but uh, they fought at like a PFL world series of fighting event in Seattle. And, you know, they're not even, related by blood grew up together uh for much of their lives but not even related by blood and still it was uncomfortable like it got uh emotional in a really 
sort of awkward, uncomfortable way. And it's the kind of thing that I think a lot of people thought they wanted to see until you see it and you see how how some of the guys are reacting to it. And it just felt like, mm, maybe we shouldn't have done this after all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you're going to see the, D- the Diaz brothers fight each other. I think you, you, you got a better chance of uh, seeing, you know, dinosaurs walk the earth again uh, than that. And that I think makes the other part of this question more interesting. And that is that I think Brandon Boyd has a point here, man. I think that we as a subculture extend the Diaz brothers a lot of rope and a lot of courtesy that we don't necessarily extend to others all the time. And I hate to use Conor McGregor as an example, but people are pretty much all the time talking about how Conor McGregor never defended his belts and how infrequently he fights and how he's out. Maybe I'm just talking about our show because this is what we talk about. (laughs) This guy's out, you know, sailing his yacht to Monaco to watch the uh, Formula One race or whatever. He's not here fighting. Will he return? Who will he fight when he comes back? The Diaz brothers are essentially on a comparable schedule. Now for Nick, Maybe it's a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, explainable because he's an older guy is getting on toward the end of his career. And Nate is out here making noise about how much he wants to fight, about how he's trying to get this last fight on his contract done, assumedly so he can jet out and fight a Paul brother in a boxing match. But they don't fight that much either. And so does Brandon Boyd have a point here? that the the continued discourse from these guys is kind of ridiculous with Nate talking about everybody ducking him and, and, and Nick saying, Oh, I'll go ahead and beat up Kamara Usman. As we talked about on Friday during the power hour, I would like to get this other mess out of the way and just fight for a title. I believe was his quote, which, Hey man, we all would. That's, yeah. that's what everybody wants. But do we extend them like as MMA fans, do we extend them this courtesy that we don't extend to other people in similar circumstances? Yeah. But I mean, I think it's two different things with where they both are in their careers right now, because part of it, they wouldn't be saying this stuff if we weren't asking and we're asking because they're good copy and because they, they are needle movers. They, people still click on a headline with a Diaz brother name in it. And so that's why you can still run a story where Nick Diaz is talking about how he thinks he'd beat Kamar Usman and it, it works. It serves everybody's purpose. Um, and that's just because people remain interested in the Diaz brothers in a way that they are not interested in, you know, 90% of the other fighters, even if they're way more active and way more relevant. And with Nate, that situation, I think, is at this point incredibly weird where we've gotten to. And maybe even just kind of unprecedented for the UFC. Because from what he's said, and I've seen what Ariel Hawani was saying about it, about it, basically that he hasn't been offered a fight since, like, October that he gets offered one fight in October. And like, you know, we've heard the UFC say before, like, hey, we're, we're, we got to offer these guys a fight like every six months. Uh, we got to fight you every so often. Otherwise, we're in breach of contract. I know that's a, a constant stressor for the matchmakers to make sure that they're not accidentally in breach of contract just because they forget about somebody and leave them on the shelf for too long. But here, Nate Diaz keeps saying, give me a fight. Let me get out of this contract. And it seems like they're just not doing it at that point. And you're just, you're holding the guy and you're just bleeding out time on his athletic prime uh, kind of to pressure him into doing what you want. And you're doing it kind of right in front of all our eyes. You're doing it in full public view while he is talking about the fact that you're doing it. That is crazy to me. Like that, that's when we talk about what the, 
Ollie Act or, or, or what some kind of legislation would do if it were applied to MMA. It's exactly that kind of a situation that you would think that you'd be looking to address. Next question this week comes to us from Drew Bopri, who writes, Discourse, please, on the glorious spectacle that is a 45-year-old former world's strongest man who is now on the longest win streak, five, of his MMA career. Ben, there are no, there is no ceiling for how much I love. <laughs> man out of bounds, Marius Pujanowski. Stop me if you've heard this before. But does having a 45-year-old former strongman go out there in a promotion with a live uh, a live production values budget that is off the charts go out here and fight hand-picked opponents that he can knock out in the first round? Does this sound like an approach we've heard of before in MMA to you? It is like we went into a cave in the Arctic and found Marius Pujanowski frozen behind a wall of ice, thawed him out, turned out that he was alive, and we turned him loose in modern MMA when he should have been in pride 20 years ago <laughs> doing this. He's doing it now and i love it so much it's amazing he knocked out let me get this guy's name michael Matero materella materella nailed it uh first round uppercut minute 47 seconds into the first round laid him out knocked yeah. him cold don't get punched in the face by the world's strongest man is the uh is the lesson here I could go on and on, man. This is one of my favorite things in MMA right now. Glorious, lovable, former world's strongest man, Marius Pujanowski, probably the best fighter in the world. <laughs> to me, it's just insane to think back to when he first entered MMA. And it was 2009 and being told, all right, the world's strongest man is going to fight in MMA. And we went, okay, all right, so we're having fun. All right, fine, you guys, go ahead. And to think that here we are in the year of our Lord 2022 and he's still at it and is on a five-fight win streak? Like, you realize he enters professional MMA just like two years after Brock Lesnar. And if you would ask somebody back there, who do you think is going to have a longer career and arguably to perform more consistently in front of big, huge audiences, Brock Lesnar or world's strongest man, Marius Pudzianowski. I don't think a whole lot of people would have said puds, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, we talked about this also on Friday's power hour uh, before we got into the weekend that uh, Pudzianowski seems to be out here doing it for the love of it, man. Like he seems to legitimately like this. He thinks that it's a thing that he's good at, that he enjoys doing. Uh, and almost all of his fights at this point in KSW. So they clearly are treating him well, paying him, a, a nice wage and he shows up and, and, and fights. And like, it's, it's, you, it's hard to hate on him for it, man. Frankly, you, you love to see it. You love to see Pujanowski out here, just kind of doing it for the, uh, for the fun of it. I mean, I love to hear about him eating chocolate bars and drinking cartons of milk in bed and still having the big, beautiful muscles. That's yeah. what, that's, that's my dream. That's, that's what I, I, that's, that's all I want out of life. And he's living my dream. You just eating whatever you want, still having the big, beautiful muscles. Yeah. I feel like I got uh, next, half of that down right now. <laughs> next question comes to us from Jizzy B, who writes, on another slow fight week, maybe it's time uh, for a non-UFC question. What non-UFC KO in any other major sport, NBA, MLB, NFL, would you hate to be on the receiving end of? I'll nominate Rudy Tomjanovich punch on Carl Malone uh, 
Oh, the Rudy Tomjanovich punch and Carl Malone's elbow on David Robinson. What say you? Now, it wasn't a knockout, uh, but uh, those of us who were children at the time, I'm sure we remember if we saw it, Joe Theismann getting his leg broken Ooh, well, by Lawrence Taylor, one. right? Isn't that who did it? Yep. Uh, that's the one I would choose, even though it's not a not a knockout. Don't want to be suffering a career-ending leg break out here at the hands of uh, of just a beastly defensive lineman. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about actual intentional like punches to the face and things like that, you know, in football, every once in a while, you see everybody get all carried away. But the the helmets are a major barrier to doing any serious fighting. So yeah. for a game that is really violent between the whistles in the actual action of the game, the the fights that spill out from it, they tend to be kind of limited and just a big scrum of people mixing around there i think you you don't really have to look too far within the game of professional ice hockey however to see some absolutely crazy shit that you do not want to be on the business end of uh especially i would draw your attention chad um to the the famous brawl between the colorado avalanche and the detroit red wings uh, I don't know if you remember this back in like the mid late nineties where it was like, uh, the, I believe is Claude Lemieux had, had checked one of the, uh, Red Wings guys into the boards and, and from behind and really fucked him up. And it was like, okay, we're, we're going to remember that one and we'll see you next season. And you know, that's when you stay mad for like a year and the payback comes like the next, the following season when we see him turn up again. And then we're going to go just right out there and clock him in his fucking face. Like that's when you know you are really mad. That is yeah. some fly to Ireland kind of mad because you, you held on to that. You, you tucked it away. You said, all right. You looked at the schedule next year. Oh, Joe Lewis Arena in March, huh? Okay. We'll see you there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to, uh, I don't that- want any part of that. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to our website, comadeevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. Right now, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, you know, I was traveling this past weekend, spent the Memorial Day weekend on the road with my family. We got over to the state of Washington, the state of Idaho, uh, staying in largely Airbnbs for a couple of nights when we were over there. You know, I was flying with NordVPN the whole time when I was out on the road uh, using my phone for every dang thing I needed to to know. A lot of public Wi-Fi, a lot of uh, networks I wasn't sure if I could trust. I got NordVPN fired up, didn't have to worry about it anymore. If you're traveling and you're using unsecured airport or public Wi-Fi, you can use NordVPN on your phone, your laptop, your iPad. It protects you from hackers. It gives you peace of mind while you're on the road that your personal information is not going to get out there on the internet. I know that this is the thing that you love about NordVPN. Not only you have it on multiple devices, but the ease with which it just comes on when you need it. It's there for you. To, to catch you when you fall. You know how I knew that you were using it when you were traveling is because it's a damn encryption powerhouse, Chad. Why wouldn't yeah. you use it? Just yeah. makes sense. 
Uh, CME listeners right now can grab an exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free and a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It works well for me. I think it'll work well for you. Go to nordvpn.com slash co-main or use the code co-main. Again, that's one word, co-main. Uh, ben, this fight between the uh, the heavyweights Alexander Volkov and Jarzino Rosenstrike comes at kind of a weird time for both guys. Uh, the biggie boy is two and three in his last five, and Alexander Volkov is uh, one and two in his last three. But if you look at who these guys have lost to, it's basically the cream of the new heavyweight crop. Alexander Volkov's most recent losses are to Cyril Gaon and Tom Aspinall. The biggie boy, who has had an equally tough stretch of opponents here, his losses are to Cyril Gaon, Curtis Blades, and of course, still technically the reigning UFC heavyweight champion, Big Fran Francis Ngannou. So I don't know what exactly we're fighting for here, but it, it feels like we're fighting to be right up there at the top of the second tier of the heavyweight division. Yeah, at least part of it is we might be fighting to stay on the list of guys who get a phone call when we have to scramble to do something big at heavyweight. Because doesn't it seem like as time goes by, the chances of us having to to look at that list of guys and call somebody, call somebody who is in the TBA category for a, a fight to be named later, doesn't that seem like it's entirely possible? It, more and more it seems like Big Fran is already gone. At least the like it feels like he's already gone. And you when you're scraping around trying to make another heavyweight title fight, try to maybe think about interim title fights, things like that. You know, you got your guys who are up there who who make sense right now, but you also got a, a situation where we may be in a different place with the division by the time we get get around to making those calls than we are right now. And so if you lose a fight, you go out there and you get knocked knocked out right now, you might get your name crossed off the list. If you do the knocking out, you get to stay on it a little while. And other people, through process of elimination, will get their names crossed off. And who knows? We, we might make one fight as a plan A. Maybe something happens one way or another. It doesn't go down. Or we need somebody else to fight on the same card as a backup. Those are the kind of jobs that you are sort of auditioning here uh, for in fights like this one. Yeah. Does it feel to you at all like both of these guys are still in some ways trying to establish a real identity in the UFC? I know that's kind of a weird thing to say. Alexander Volkov has been in the UFC since 2016. Prior to that, of course, he of course won the Bellator Season 10 Heavyweight Tournament, and he was also uh, the M1 Global Heavyweight Champion. But, like, I don't know. Like, I think he's a... He's a tall, rangy striker who's going to go out there and, and do all that stuff. But when I think Alexander Volkov, I feel like I could pick him out of a lineup. You show me a lineup of of uh, pasty, vaguely European-looking, tall, heavyweight guys, and I'd be like, oh, there's Alexander Volkov right there, second from the left. But, like, it doesn't exactly get me fired up, and I'm not too sure what what to expect in general from this guy. Yeah, well, I feel like instead of trying to establish an identity, both of them to some extent are trying to sort of change an identity because both of them have looked good 
in stretches, look good in short moments when they get to do their stuff. And then when they don't get to do their stuff, have looked kind of bad. And especially, yeah. like, Jarzina Rosenstrike, I think, is a good example of it. Because when you see him go out there and he's knocking people out, and especially knocking people out in fights where he has to sort of come back at the end. Like, that Alistair Overy one, where it seems like he is sort of out-veterined and, and out-strategized for most of the fight. But then lands up one big punch, and damn it, that's all you need. And he kind of seems to fall in love with that, to the point where he's going out there in some of these fights and he's just looking for that. And it's not always going to be there. And other guys who have other things that they can reach for in their playbook, like uh, Curtis Blades, uh, they're going to beat you. They have other things that they can do, and they know the one thing you want to do. And so you get to a point where we've talked about how MMA fans are sometimes quick to pigeonhole you and decide that's who you are and you can never change. You can change. It's possible to change, to add some other things, to, to become a fighter who can present more of a challenge than just that one good thing that everybody else has scouted about you by this point in your career. But can you actually do it? Yeah. it we, we know it can be done, but are you the kind of person who can do it? That's the kind of thing I think we're still waiting to see. The biggie boy, at least, as you said, is knocking people out. He's 12-3 and three overall in his MMA career, and all of his wins except one are some version of KO, the only guy who went the decision, went to decision uh, with Jarzino Rosenstrike in a fight. The biggie boy won was Andre Korolev back in Ryzen in 2018. Uh, Rosenstrike won a split decision there. He's only been to decision one, two other times in his entire career, both of those losses to Curtis Blades and Cyril Gone. But at least with the biggie boy, I know he's he's coming for that knockout. And that is that is something he can kind of hang his hat on in terms of an identity in the UFC. Is he also a guy, I wonder, that we will later find out that maybe we've shortchanged just a little bit, considering that these losses in Gano, Cyril Gano, Curtis Blades are essentially to at least championship-level fighters. These are guys who are either are now or, or have been in and around the championship mix. I guess even though he is, what, 34, I guess, at the, at this point, I wonder if, if Jarzino Rosenstrike, if he goes on an extended uh, stretch of, of, of success, if he can sort of show us more than he already has, given that uh, he's only lost to the, to the absolute best in this division. Yeah, and that's not a bad place to be at heavyweight because there are not tons of those guys who qualify as the absolute best in the division, right? Like, and some of those guys may one way or another remove themselves from the conversation in the UFC. So maybe you can hang on. And if you, as long as you beat the guys who are not the absolute best, you stay in there. But see, this feels like the, exactly the kind of fight that's meant to sort of figure that out. Because if you're Jaisir and Rosenstrike and you're out there saying like, okay, hey, I might lose one every once in a while, but it's only to the top guys in the division. Then isn't this one that you have to win? Don't you have to go out there and beat Alexander Volkov? Because, I don't know, it, that's, he, he's not right now one of the best in the division. No, and like I said, he's a guy who's been around long enough that it feels like we have seen what he is capable of. And we don't necessarily expect Volkov to vault up to that top level and suddenly become either the champion or a championship contender. So, yeah, if, you are, if what you are trying to say to me right now is that this is a fight that it would be better for the Bicky boy to win than lose, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think this would be a fight that would be better for him to win. Are there odds on this thing? Have you got those in front of you? Do we know who's favored here in this, in this heavyweight yeah. main event? Volkov is slightly favored. 
We're looking at around really? minus 160, minus 155 on DraftKings. Uh, Rosenstrike is at about plus 135. That's interesting to me, and I assume that they like his ability to just kind of uh, dink and dunk around the edges and play the points game and win this thing by decision. Not stand in one place too long and get knocked out. Not not get knocked out by the biggie boy. Uh, This was a weird event all the way around, as I said at the beginning of the show, because it seems like it took forever for the UFC to uh, officially recognize all the rest of the fights. Like this was one where like a week ago we were looking at this card saying like we haven't confirmed barely any of these bouts. And then I believe I didn't get the UFC press email uh, confirming the other fights on this card until Friday. And now we've got Dan Ige against uh, Movsar Evolev and some other fights on here. But this was one where like, man, they, they really, they really gave a last minute feel to all this yeah. stuff. Even if this stuff was already up there on the big board in Dana White's office, they left us hanging here for a bit. Almost as if they knew that it kind of doesn't matter. That we're just we're gonna put together a fight night card. You're gonna watch it because it's on. And you know what? They're they're kind of right about that. Does seem to be the marching orders more and more all the time. Anything else caught your eye on this thing? Anything else you wanted to talk to either about this heavyweight matchup or this uh, this fight card itself? You know what's one that I'm gonna be keeping an eye on that I think has a fun fight written all over it. Zalgas Zumagalov versus Jeff Molina down there on the prelims. Okay. All right. There's some there's some flyweight fun about to pop off on that one. Some flyweight fun to be had. Well, I'm gonna tell you that right now. We do love that. We do love the uh, 125 pound fun. All right, let's go ahead. We'll do. Uh, are you fucking kidding me? And then we'll move on to round number two this week. Ben, what's your are you fucking kidding me? Chad, I know that you saw this video of Kamzat Chimaev. Getting his spar on. Oh God! Oh, with Chechen yeah. warlord Ramzan Kadyrov. I did. I saw it, and then when you started talking about a video with Kamzat Shemaev for one second, I was like, "What's he talking about?" Video with oh that one, the one that I watched, and then immediately wiped from my memory banks. Remember that scene in Foxcatcher, the one, <laughs> uh, the one that made Mark Schultz so mad because he insisted that never happened. Where we see Channing Tatum. Uh, being called into the mansion uh, where Steve Carell's character as the uh, uh, DuPont is going to wrestle him to the ground while he has to not fight back, pretend like he's a really good wrestler. And on his face, he looks dead inside. This is like that, except if both guys are forcing themselves to smile. It's like if we had video footage of people who had to go around with Kim Jong-un when he was just hitting uh, constant holes in one the very first time he was golfing. Remember that that story? And had to watch as like the guys are all suddenly looking away when the ball gets nudged into the hole and then have to politely clap. Yay! Good job, dictator. Another hole in one for you. You're a natural at this game. It's like that, but there's video footage of it, which makes it worse. I mean, hey, look, I know... That Kamzat Chmeyev comes from a different part of the world with with different different concerns, different things that he has to think about, different uh, stakes when it comes to managing your relationship and friendship with the Chechen dictator warlord type figure. But man, it is unpleasant to watch. 
And it seems like it's got to be, like, this has got to be one of the worst parts about being friends with this dude, right? I mean, you know, hey, he's going to buy you a car every now and then, all that kind of stuff. You got to pose for the pictures. But then he's like, hey, let's spar. And you're like, god damn it. So I have to pretend that, that I suck. And I also have to pretend that he's good. Yeah. And and I have to, you know, get in there, mix it up with him, not hurt him, and let him pretend that he's good. Like all those dudes having to play hockey with Vladimir Putin and be like, oh, look, nope, he broke to the middle again, scored another goal, can't stop him. Just got to stand by and watch it and shake our heads like we're amazed at how great he is. Are you fucking kidding me? What is it with these dictator type dudes always got to pretend that they're good at something? Why doesn't, they got it? you need one trusted advisor. Like the hand of the king in Game of Thrones that can come around and tell you, no, dummy, don't participate in the jousting tournament because nobody is going to seriously joust you and it's just going to be bullshit. This is why, Chad, when I become a warlord dictator, I'm going to count on you. Uh-huh. I, until I have you murdered for displeasing me, I'm going to look to you to be the person that tells me, like, hey, no, this is just your ego. This is you having just a little, little bit of baby ego. Don't do this. This is a bad look. Somebody got to tell these people. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? I look forward to the day when I can be killed uh, for disappointing you. Because I, you know what it is? It'll get me killed. It's my commitment to the truth. Yep. That's, that's it. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Just uh, Kadyrov out here doing stuff to Kamzat Shumayev that numerous professional MMA fighters have been unable to do over multiple opportunities. Yeah. Really, stuff. his defensive wrestling should make a lot of guys in the UFC feel bad about themselves. because They weren't yeah. able to stop that, that takedown the way he could. Well, Ben, I'm just going to read two paragraphs of this MMA junkie story. Okay. This one by MMA junkie staff. You know what that means. One of my favorite writers. Nobody wanted to put their name on this bad boy. UFC middleweight Paulo Costa is accused of striking a nurse with an elbow during a dispute over a COVID-19 vaccination card in Brazil. The alleged incident occurred Monday evening at a shopping center in the city of Contagem, according to Globo. Afterward, Kala Costa, 31, and a 26-year-old female nurse were taken to the duty police station where they were questioned about the incident. So, <laughs> you fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me? At least Paulo went there to try to get his vaccination, went there to try to get his vaccine, but then he tried to leave uh, with the card that said it had already been filled out. So he got, she tried to duck it here and then uh, ended up elbowing a nurse. You fucking kidding me? Oh, Paulo. You fucking kidding me with this bullshit? I'm not a nurse. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Just, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll roll up in there. I'll act like I'm going to get the vaccine. I'll be like, why don't you just let me hold on to the card so I can look at it while you're preparing the vaccine. And they fall for it, hand you the card. They're rolling up your sleeve and you're like, yoink. Just going to speed on out of there. The We're dine pl- and dash version of vaccinations. <laughs> I just oh. want one week, just one week where some shit like this doesn't happen with an MMA fighter. Just just like one week where I can revel in the fantasy that there are some normal fucking people in this sport. That's all I want. Just like one week. In the alternate universe, 
where the WWE is the real fighting organization and the UFC is the scripted stuff, this still happens, only we have cameras there for it. It's like when Vince McMahon has to go to the hospital and Stone Cold is the doctor. Like, it, that's the kind of shit that this is. And then in this version, it may be when he's trying to take the card and run away, Luke Rockhold shows up and double legs him or something. <laughs> but this this narrative, this storyline still happens in that alternate universe. Yeah, just said MMA fighters seem to have not been able to figure out that you don't do that shit for real. <laughs> you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, the important thing to take away from Jorge Masvidal's interview with ESPN Deportes is that he's innocent. Now, here's where the savvy viewer will ask, innocent of what exactly? Because <laughs> it kind of seems like every time he opens his mouth to talk about it, from the video he made immediately afterward to this interview now, he is not at all denying running up on Colby Covington outside the poppy steak. Yeah, I have never in all my days seen anything like this before. Uh, Jorge Masvidal appears to keep confessing to this crime. And as you mentioned, multiple times now. But at the end is then just kind of like, oh, but I didn't do that shit, though. <laughs> this is that uh, that uh, sketch from I Think You Should Leave where the guy is called into HR about hiring somebody to take big smelly dumps and so he can blame it on his coworker, uh, and then who will go from being like, maybe I wanted to get caught, to, I'm serious, as a heart attack, I didn't do this, in in the span of a few seconds. That's exactly what he's kind of doing here, because we're just going to read this quote and enjoy it. Uh, I come from a different place than many people, which, first, I'm right, I got to stop right there. We all come from a different place than many people. We all... Does he think everybody else is from the same place and he's the one from the different... No, I'm sorry. I can't even get bogged down into that. I come from a different place than many people and we walk differently in that place. I'm not going to let anyone disrespect my family. I can't talk much because I'm being charged with three felonies. I can only say that I'm innocent. Now, the first part of this quote seems like offering up a justification for why I might run up on the guy outside the poppy steak, punch him in his face, and break his tooth and uh, damage his luxury timepiece. And then the end just says, and by the way, I didn't do it. Or but actually didn't say that I didn't do it. I can only say that I am innocent. And it's like, but, but you kind of just, like, why did you offer up a justification for the thing if you're innocent of the thing? Yeah. Is he trying to say that he didn't do it, or is he trying to say no jury would convict him? Well, this this story from MMA Junkie also notes that when uh, he was when he had to try to get a promoter's license from the Nevada Athletic Commission, uh, then he was asked about it. Um, when asked by a commissioner about the incident, Masvidal admitted that he had a quote mutual combatants with another athlete. So seems like maybe that's a preview of the Jorge Masvidal defense here, that it was mutual combat, except all the circumstances about it are that 
the guy was leaving the steakhouse and you walked up on him and started hitting him. And then I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a legal scholar, but I'm going to say if you do that and then the other guy has to try to turn and fight you back, it's pretty plausibly self-defense on his part and not mutual combat. It's not yeah. like you guys agreed to meet in the parking lot outside the poppy steak. One of you seemed to know what was going to happen, and the other one didn't. Yeah, isn't Jorge Masvidal's best, even even within his best defense, the fact that he was called and was told where Colby Covington was, and then, like, assume, uh, walked much differently than people walk in other places down to that location to confront <laughs> Colby Covington? Like, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like a self-defense uh case to me where you just like go out to confront this guy and then there's a fight i don't know that that sounds mutual like a mutual combatants which i'm pretty sure is not a word but uh that's just that doesn't mm, nope that's i don't think that's self-defense don't think that you could have just stayed home frankly well i mean if we're talking about actual legal strategy i don't maybe it seems like what we're actually doing here is trying this in the court in the public opinion in sort of a this guy had it coming kind of way which if it were a, if you if it's a jury of all mma fans <laughs> brother you they're gonna walk you out of the courtroom that day a free man yeah. no problem mm-hmm. to, if you just argue okay yes i committed this crime i did it but didn't he have it coming didn't he deserve it for being a dick and people would be like yes sir your honor we've heard all we need to hear. we don't even need to retire to chambers and and deliberate We'll just hand you the slip of paper that says not guilty right now. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting jury selection period. Down yeah, at the I mean, th- it is because it's going to be we're going to be going through the the, the voir dire. Uh, the lawyers asking the questions be like, uh, juror number 11, would you consider yourself a bitch ass casual? <laughs> are, is that are you wearing an affliction T-shirt? OK, mark him down as a keeper. Yeah, mark that guy down. Jorge Masvidal, not only in the news for continuing to confess to crimes that then he proclaims his innocence for, uh, he's still trying to drum up a thing with Conor McGregor. Still trying to get the the Irish guy to come in here and fight him in the UFC. Uh, there's some insults flying back and forth over there on the Twitter machine, calling each other dumb, I guess, uh, saying that uh, Jorge Masvidal says he's the biggest fight that... Uh, that Conor McGregor could have on, well, on his way back in here. This is, uh, it's, it's, uh, I guess it's normal stuff, you could well, say. Let's not gloss over the actual language choices here, because that, I think, is the best part about it. Uh, Conor McGregor writes, an absolute pigeon brain, this guy is, stupid beyond belief. And then Jorge Masvidal replies, this pea brain is the biggest fight of your life, so you're either too scared or too stupid to get this check. It seems like... We don't agree on exactly what kind of or size of brain Jorge Masvidal has, but it seems like we both agree that it's not a human brain. <laughs> That's strange. It's not uh, where I expected this to go. Yeah, and at least pigeons actually have brains. I Peas, mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't I know. I believe we're talking about the size of, that your brain would be the size of a pea, not the, the brain possessed by a pea. But still, like that would that could what, what kind of brain is that then? If if you're saying it's not a human brain, calling somebody an absolute pigeon brain. That's, it's a, I mean, it's so specific. 
You know, bird brain, that's kind of like an old, that feels like an old timey thing, like Humphrey Bogart would call somebody bird brain or something. But pigeon brain, you chose a type of bird and not one that seems especially smart. Like, I kind of have to respect it. No, I, in fact, as you know, my house has previously been infested uh, with pigeons, and I can tell you that they are not a particularly bright bird. Uh, this could be an Irish saying, though, right? Like, we would have to talk okay. to one of our uh, one of our listeners over there in the fictional country of Ireland to tell us whether or not pigeon brain is a uh, is a noted euphemism there, a noted slang. I kind of uh, like it. I'm going to take it up, regardless of it. I'm, you know what? I'm just going to tell people it's an Irish saying. I'm so, or yeah. I'll just say uh, this this one's coming from the old country. Like we used to say in the old country, this guy's an absolute pigeon brain. We talked a bit on Friday again during the Power Hour about uh, Conor McGregor's return fight. Uh, Dan Tom had an, had a list over there on the MMA Junkie last week uh, with the odds and all this other stuff about various fights that McGregor could have. I personally have been guilty at times of thinking that the Jorge Masvidal fight would be maybe the best return fight for Conor McGregor if Nate Diaz is not going to do it. And Diaz has been pretty adamant up to this point that he's not going to fight Conor McGregor. Uh, would you watch this? This seems like maybe the best fight on the board for McGregor, aside from the fact that uh, Dana White and, and Jorge Masvidal have both made kind of a big deal about Masvidal being much larger than McGregor. We would have to uh, see them in the same picture together before I think we could know for sure. But like, I just feel like it feels like a decent fight for McGregor, like one he could potentially win, which is always nice. I don't know how we keep when it comes to the conversation between these two guys. We act like it's somehow fucking a mortal man versus Godzilla. And yet, yeah. <laughs> Jorge Masvidal can fight Nate Diaz, and that's not a size mismatch. Nate Diaz can fight Conor McGregor twice already, and that's not like a tremendous size mismatch. But Conor McGregor and, and Jorge Masvidal can't fight each other. No, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to even suggest it. The, the, who who would sanction such a fight with such a size disparity between the two people? I don't, I don't know how we got to that as the conventional wisdom on that. I mean, I do think if they could make it, Conor Rare versus Nate Diaz 3 would be the one that would give McGregor the best chance to win, is already a proven seller, and so you'd feel like with this much time between them, you could sell it really well again. But you're right, it does seem like getting Nate Diaz to agree to something, or getting the UFC to give Nate Diaz a fight like that without him accepting like a nine-fight extension that goes into 2050 or something, that's the kind, that's the big sticking point. And so if that's something that keeps you from doing it, this is not, I guess, a bad option, especially because it's not like it would be holding up any division, you know? They could just do this fight. We could do a come-as-you-are fight. We could agree on a catch weight if we wanted to, and both guys could just kind of roll in here, and yeah. you could, you'd, you'd still sell a ton of pay-per-views. I agree. It seems to check a lot of boxes uh, for a potential Conor McGregor fight. And uh, I don't as, hate the idea. As long as you can get them both to the cage without anybody copping to any felonies on the way there. You know? I mean, I'm from a different place than a lot of people. And I would we never let all... anyone disrespect my family. But that said, I did not do this. Any place, even the most populated place you could be from, you're still from a different place than many other people. Come on. That's going to do it for round number two. We'll be right back with round number three.
I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well, Ben, 63-year-old Hickson Gracie is not backing away from his long-standing claim of a 450-0 record in various combat sports. In fact, you might say he's doubling down on it, saying, according to this Guillermo Cruz article over on MMA Fighting, that it's, quote, hard for people to deny his 450-0 record. And before I get to the quote that explains it, I just want to point out that numerous times when we have talked about Hicks and Gracie's 450-0 record in various combat sports, either on the air or in our private lives, you and I have both noted, well, he must be counting everyone he's ever choked out in any Brazilian jiu-jitsu gym ever in his life. That's what we've said. Now I will read this quote that reveals <laughs> we are correct. Every seminar I did at the time, 150, 40, 30, 20 seminars, at the end for of the six-hour seminars, I'd submit everybody, Gracie said on a recent episode of Trocal Franca. I did a training session. Who wants to train? Everybody wanted to. I submitted everybody, one after another, and every tournament I entered after I turned 18, weight class or open weight division, I submitted every match I had and never lost. I entered Luta Livre tournaments uh, back when Hollis was excited about it. I never lost there either. Sambo tournaments in Brazil and in the United States, I also never lost. Street fights against guys that were really tough, professionals or street fights with surfers, fights with Luta Livre guys, jiu-jitsu tournaments, seminars, any other situation. Every time I faced an opponent he was submitted i never won by points uh and counting very superficially it's at least 450 fights so i set that as my record number one he's ballparking it yeah he's just saying it's uh 450 you know whatever well and And he feels like that's conservative that's a conservative estimate which probably is if you're going to count every time, uh, you know, you make one of your toddler daughters tap out in the family living room. You're like, oh, 451 and oh, if you're going to count it that way, though, I'm sure that that's that's an accurate assessment of every grappling session Hicks and Gracie has ever had in his life. Now, the thing about that is, I guess I don't have a hard time believing that Hicks and Gracie goes to do a seminar someplace uh, in the 90s and afterwards is taken on all comers and you'd feel like you know hey that's a kind of a good deal for your seminar money he's going to show you a few special hicks and things uh teach you some finer points and some techniques and then you'll get to say that you rolled with hicks and gracie and i don't have a hard time believing that hicks and gracie was tapping everybody out back then because of course uh, he was uh like who's going to roll up into the seminar and then beat hicks and gracie after at the end of it like that's just that that i can absolutely imagine that happening but i don't know if we're gonna Add that to the tally. Uh, I, and even Helio Gracie, I think, had made mention of like that that's not the way you should tally it up. Especially when, if we look at actual, like, the what we regard as being his both MMA and competition jiu-jitsu record, neither of them are especially extensive. But also, they happen at a very different era of the sport. Like, you don't even really want to call it MMA, 
right? Like more, like he doesn't, he, he keeps calling it Valet Tudo. And like that in, in the choke documentary, that's what they were calling the tournament, you know, the Valet Tudo Japan tournament that he went through and he won. And he's, you know, clearly he's better than all those people. He's demolishing him. We're watching him take those, all those people out. And yet it's also that like, no one knows this shit yet. You know some of this stuff, and then you have also learned enough of the other stuff, and you're going against people who who don't know anything. You know, everybody else, when it comes to the way sort of mixed martial arts is going to grow to be, they're out there rubbing two sticks together, trying to create a fire, and you've got a flamethrower. And so, of course, you're beating everybody. Um, I guess the one of the most interesting parts to me about this was that he's saying that one of the reasons that he includes all these fights that are not just like official MMA fights, you know, where he's like 11 to no in MMA or like official jujitsu tournament fights and stuff is that it would be disrespectful to some of the people he's fought. If he did not include them just because they did not happen in official MMA contexts like this one. Um, uh, the Jiu-Jitsu legend says it's disrespectful to other veterans of the game, namely Hugo Duarte, a Luda Livre pioneer who p- competed once under the UFC in Pride Banners with an official record of 6-3. and three. Uh, Gracie and Duarte had two historic encounters in Rio de Janeiro, but neither is listed on their records. Quote, I can't leave out the two fights I had with Hugo Duarte, for example. A great fighter I fought once at the beach and another time in the gym, Gracie said. That's not an official fight, but I can't leave out such a tough professional like him as one of the times I put myself as a test out there. Um, yeah, I'm sure Hugo Duarte is like, oh, I'm, I'm really glad to be included in among your 450 <laughs> victories twice, Hickson. There is video, by the way, on the internet of their fight at the beach, which I mean, uh, you can go find that if you want to. Anybody who's seen the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu in action tapes that they put out, those, those are on VHS, by the way. So if you have one, you probably don't have a way to play it anymore. I used to have one back in the day, back when I was a college student taking up Jiu-Jitsu and uh, there are some beach fights on those shits, man. Like, don't don't think, and especially it's not. It was must have been tougher to capture a beach fight back then because it's not like you're just pulling out your cell phone and recording. Once two guys start going at, somebody had to know we we were probably fighting at the beach today mm-hmm. and Charged brought a, their camcorder, brought a goddamn camcorder down there to record it. And you can see them getting in there where it's like somebody's getting bloodied up and then the, they're rolling around in the sand and the sand is sticking to the blood. You're going, Oh no, that seems like the worst part. Uh, and then Hickson is like, you know, elbowing you in the face. And you're like, Oh, okay, maybe that's the worst part. But I mean, it, I, I have a lot of affection for Hickson Gracie, Especially just the the choke documentary and stuff, the the role that the the Gracies played, and sort of like finding a foothold for all this stuff. Then, and it must be hard that the sport has kind of outgrown you guys. And to a lot of people, I mean, I get frustrated sometimes when I see people who are like, "Oh yeah, I started watching this shit in 2018, and I know it all." And oh, this guy, who the hell was George Saint Pierre? That guy seems like he sucks, and what you know, and. You get frustrated at that. I can imagine how frustrated the Gracies must get at kind of being left behind with some of this stuff. Um, And yet, and yet, the 450 and 0 stuff, I feel like maybe that's not the part that you want to really, that's not the hill you want to die on. You, You could just be like, I don't know, man. I was just trying to find something that sounded cool when they said it out loud at the, uh, when I was being introduced. Uh, I, well, this was not supposed to represent a careful accounting 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I also have a great affection for the Gracies for all the same reasons that you just mentioned. And also I would just like to acknowledge that they are essentially a professional wrestling family. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and any of the, like I said at the beginning of the show, like all these, it's pretty big deal in, in MMA for these guys to constantly be like, well, I don't like pro wrestling. I would never watch that. But it's like, okay, but do you have a Hicks and Gracie shirt at home? Like roots of fight Hicks and Gracie shirt at the Helio Gracie? Like I got a Helio eh. Gracie shirt. It says for the, for the choke, there are no tough guys. Yeah. It's a fucking rad shirt. Just saying, might be a, might be time to look in the mirror a little bit. Just be like, oh, maybe maybe we're all carnival husk, hucksters of a slightly different variety. Well, you know, I, when I was reading this, I was thinking about, uh, I just saw uh, the Grabaka Hitman posting clips of old Vanderlei fights. And I remember watching some of these old Vanderlei highlight films, like pre-Pride Vanderlei, and being reminded, oh, yeah. Especially something like Vanderlei Silva, where he started his career when we were doing Valet Tudo, like fucking bare knuckle, kind of anything goes in a ring, hastily set up in a Brazilian nightclub. Yeah. And the ceiling is like right above you. It's really low there. You can tell it's not a fight venue. It's not a sports venue at all. And he's out there bare fisted, headbutting each other, soccer kicking each other in the face. Uh, a guy gets dropped and is clearly done, and the referee is like, "Well, let's see where it goes from here." <laughs> oh, I'm I'm interested. And let's and Vandalay's got to jump on him, pound him a whole bunch of times until the guy who is trying to cover up his hands, uh, cover up his head with his hands, but is also trying to find a way to tap, and ends up just tapping his own skull, hoping that yeah. that way he can still defend himself, and the referee will see it and stop it. And you're like, okay. The, that was a basically a different sport almost than what we're doing now. And the guys who came up through that, they they came up differently, and in a whole lot of ways. They they are from a place than many that many other people are not from, in that sense. So we do have to have like a little bit of understanding that just because you know it's not like hey you're playing uh, basketball now is basically the same with the nets and the ball and everything as it was thirty years ago. This shit was not exactly the same. Like it was, this is different stuff. Um, and so I could see how a guy like Hicks and Gracie might feel like a little bit of a, a man out of time because he's out there being like, I beat these dudes up on the, uh, on the beach. It was a challenge fight. We met at the beach. It was a serious thing. I had to protect my reputation and my family. You're going to tell me that's not a real fight. And we're being like, well, it doesn't count on your record. And he's going, yeah. but it was fucking for real when I did it. Let me tell you that. And you go, okay, fair enough. Imagine the environment we'd, we we would create if every MMA fighter was allowed to include every fight he had ever had in his I mean, professional record. This is how you're going to get this is how the the prosecuting attorney should be studying this playbook for when they get Jorge Masvidal in court because Yeah, Hicks and Gracie as like a character witness to be like, you know, if that one went on your record, then you did it, and if you did it, then you're guilty. So, you know, you're not going to take that win off your record, are you? Yeah, you know, uh, you know, considering the amount of time I've been spending down at the park uh, with my six year old and my uh, nine year old playing basketball, I'm basically like champion of the NBA at this point. <laughs> I would put my basketball record at like, I don't know, easily 500 and oh. So you're saying you just never let him win, huh? I'm just serving them constantly. Get that shit out of here. I scream as I slap <laughs> the ball into the street. <laughs> Just dominating, just dominating the blacktop. I can picture it now. All right, let's go ahead, Ben, and we will do just saying stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, did you see this terribly graphic video on the internet 
of Tommy Quinn out there at KSW 70, getting his arm absolutely smashed during a, uh, a, uh, a takedown, a slam by Albert Adazimkowski. I, I saw it and I couldn't look away fast enough. Yeah. So there's that. Although then I just saying stuff this week, I was looking at the, uh, the blue corner over on MMA junkie, Nolan King this week notes that, uh, that odds of Mikowski maybe felt a little bad about it. And so what he has done here, he has traveled approximately 120 miles to deliver a hamburger lunch to his former opponent, Tommy Quinn. They have a nice moment here. There's a picture of them on their social media. Uh, Quinn writes this on his Facebook post. What a guy and what a sport. Fight each other twice, slam me on my arm, and he comes to visit me 200 kilometers and bring me food and treats. Albert Odzimakowski, folks, is a one-off. Absolute gentleman. No other sport or occupation like ours in such a ruthless nature you find the kindest creatures. So this week, I'm just saying, aww, that's so nice. <laughs> Brought him hamburgers. A hamburger I got lunch. his arm broken in the fight, so he brings him hamburgers. That's amazing. Hamburgers uh, and treats. If only we could have a thousand more stories like this and no more stories like Apollo pa- pa- Costa elbowing a nurse. I feel like I would be pretty happy. I'm just saying. I mean, Apollo Costa should at least bring that nurse, nurse a hamburger lunch, right? Oh, Apollo Costa's not sharing those hamburgers with anyone. Come on. That's <laughs> true. We are talking about snacks Costa here. Well, Chad, I'm just saying, I don't know if you saw any of this Romero Davis uh, boxing match where uh, Gervonta Davis lands a, a really nice counter left hook with his back up against the ropes and sends Romero kind of face first through the ropes uh, to, to, to finish it by knockout over the weekend. I'm just saying, Romero afterwards calling for a rematch of the fight. Here's his quote. I exposed him and we need to run that shit back. I had him running like a bitch the entire fight. Wait, this is the guy who got knocked out? Yep. Fell through the ropes? I'm just saying, Chad, sounds like what he is telling us is he would have won if he hadn't lost. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm just glad to see that 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 rule holds true in boxing as well as it does in MMA. Of course we have to run it back because I would have won if I hadn't lost. We all saw that. I'm just exposed saying. him. Exposed him right up to the point where he knocked me out and I fell through the ropes. Running like a bitch who set up a really nice counter left hook that I never saw coming. <laughs> just saying. Wow. Just saying. All right. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Remember, starting tomorrow over on the uh, Patreon, we'll be back with the live chat. We've got uh, Doing the Damn Thing on Thursday and the Friday Power Hour. Check us out over there. we got a handy patronage tier for every budget. You can get in for as little as $1 a month that'll get you into the live chat we have fun over there check us out patreon.com slash co-main event thanks for listening everybody as for right now though we are done we are through we are out maybe okay if i'm if i'm the defense before i master the trial maybe what i try to do is get colby covington up on the stand and get him to admit that he thinks if he hadn't lost that fight outside the puppy state he would have won yeah trap and perry mason style no, he's not going to admit that the guy had you, you know, roughed you up, broke your timepiece. He's going to be like, if he hadn't have been running like a bitch, I would have got him. And he's going to be like, see, there he is. Got him, your honor. He's closed.